What's up, fools? This is the QTR Podcast. We've got an interesting one today, to say the least. I got a new guest, and certainly there has been no shortage of news, things that I am dying to talk about, and I'm really stoked to have Ben Hunt here. Uh, I've been a huge fan of his for a while, and I can't wait to get his take on everything that's going on and bat around uh, all this shit. So, uh, you know, for lack of better words. You know, you guys don't tune in for my uh, eloquence. You just tune in because, well, I don't know why you tune in. Maybe you feel sorry for me. doesn't really matter. This podcast is brought to you by my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I'm going to shout out some of my patrons. We'll do it quickly today, and then we'll get on with the show. First and foremost, I want to shout out my exclusive gold and silver providers over at JM Bullion. It is the only place I buy my physical gold and silver bullion. Uh, JM Bullion's been in business for over a decade. They've done over $3 billion in sales, and QTR podcast listeners have their own rep there. The wonderful Laura, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com. Shoot her an email. She would be happy to help you if you've never bought gold or silver bullion online. And honestly, gold now approaching $2,000 an ounce due to all the geopolitical tensions. Uh, You know, look, I hate to say that I've been saying this would probably happen and that gold is really the only safe hedge, but that's what it looks like, at least over the last 24, 48 hours, gold and silver catching a bid, Bitcoin not so much catching a bid as all hell breaks loose in Europe. Probably a good time to check out my friends at JM Bullion if you haven't yet. Tell them QTR sent you. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Doomberg. Doomberg is one of my favorite new substacks. They write about everything, and they write about it from an Austrian-style perspective, a skeptical lens, the same way that I kind of look at markets. Uh, they talk about everything. They talk about energy. They talk about equity markets. They talk about you know risk. Uh, really, they talk about politics. Uh, and it's just it's a great read always. The best part is it's 100% free to sign up. Uh, none of their pieces have paywalls yet, unlike my blog. Sorry, fuckos, I got to get paid. Um, but uh, Doomberg is a wonderful follow. The link to them is in my podcast description. You can sign up for free. And uh, give them a read. Give them a play because I think they're wonderful. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Rebel Capitalist Pro, my buddy George Gammon, who I was supposed to speak to this week. Of course, George is way too popular and way too cool for me now, which is totally understandable. But hopefully he will grace me with his presence at some point soon. In the meantime, he has teamed up with Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson, and other people that are generally smarter than I am to bring you Rebel Capitalist Pro a wonderful platform that basically targets how to preserve wealth in a world of -of out-of-control central banks. They do this by providing tons of information, tons of live question-and-answer sessions, a wonderful forum over there for discussions, uh, and, you know, there's really never been a better time to surround yourself with a community of uh, investors than now with the volatility in markets. So check out George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. Uh, Link is in my podcast description. Finally, my longtime supporters, Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus over at the Steam Room. The Steam Room is the best piece of software for tracking unusual options activity and market flow, checking out where the money is going and following the money, folks, can be a lucrative strategy at times. Uh, There's no better piece of software to allow you to do that than the Steam Room. These guys have been at it for a decade. I've known them for 
probably 10 years now. I think I joined FinTwit in 2012. Sanglucci was one of the first people I think I followed. Uh, all these people are friends of mine. They are honest people to do business with, and they will all let you try this shit for free. Just tell them QTR sent you. Um, make sure you tell them that, and they will make sure you get a free trial, whatever you want. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold, my friends at Investors Underground, Ken R., Chris Bede, Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, my buddy Jay Mintzmeyer. Just published a great interview with him on my blog, Fringe Finance. Link is in the podcast description. Uh, my buddy Russ Valenti, thanks for your continued support, buddy. I hope we get to catch up and have a beer soon. Crichton, Titus, Camila, Soul, and some of my longest-running supporters like Max Mulvihill, Kyle Thomas, and Sheer Luck. Thank you guys so much. I don't want to waste any more time with the intro today. Too much to talk about. Too much to do. I will say this podcast has a three-drink minimum, and I am not an investment advisor. This is not investment advice from me, from my guests, from anybody. Please do not follow this advice. It's not a solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Always check with your personal financial advisor. This is just an open discussion for the purposes of batting around bullshit. You ever see the movie Johnny Stacchino? There's a line in that movie where uh, he's trying to con the guy that's coming over to make sure that his hand is hurt for his insurance settlement. And uh, he lives alone in this apartment in Italy. You know, And then the uh, Dr. Rondazzo is the name of the guy that comes over. And he asks Johnny, how's it going here, you know? And Johnny's like, ah, you know, it's good. You know, I kind of like live by myself. Uh, you know, if I feel like uh, doing this, I do that. And he says, if I feel like shooting the shit, I shoot it, you know, by myself. <laughs> and that's what I do. That's all we're doing here. We're just shooting the shit. If I feel like shooting the shit, I shoot it. If I don't, I don't do a fucking podcast, all right? Me and Johnny Sacchino, Dr. Randazzo, Senor Randazzo. What a great movie. Anyways, okay. Let's get on with the show today. Enough bullshit. On the line with me today, I have Ben Hunt, the creator of Epsilon Theory and a uh, prolific tweeter as well. On Twitter, he is at Epsilon Theory. I love following him on Twitter. That is the first place that I found him, actually. And I first found Ben when he was the only other person tweeting about the COVID pandemic before it happened back in January of 2020. And uh, he was writing about it. And it was like Ben and, you know, Chris Martinson yep. and uh, and a couple other people that were that were talking about it. But that, that's how you kind of came across my radar. And I've been following you ever since. And uh, can't believe it took you this took this long to have you on. How are you, Ben? Uh, well, better, better late than never. Super, super to be here, Chris. Thank you. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? And certainly we have no shortage of things to talk about today. Um, you know, we're having this discussion on the 24th of February. Um, I'm not sure if I'll publish this tonight or tomorrow. It'll probably be one or the other. But we have the news about Russia invading Ukraine last night. And, uh, you know, initially, I wanted to speak to you about the piece that you had written about Bitcoin a couple of days ago uh, and yep. Bit Bitcoin being art, which I thought was a very interesting concept that I had never heard before. Um, now we have all this other stuff going on. So I want to mash the two together and right off the bat, get your thoughts about how gold is responding to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Right now it's up in a, uh, about two and a half percent and how Bitcoin is responding. It's down about somewhere between six and 8% right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, I, I will tell you the way I put it together Chris, you know, to your to your initial point about being Bitcoin being art, uh, brilliant art, I think. Um, 
but it's not money. Right? And, and what I mean by that is that the Bitcoin, I'll call it the Bitcoin project, I think is is fantastic, right? It, it taps into, as good, all good art does, the things that motivate us, in this case, autonomy, a uh, sense of uh, ingenuity, entrepreneurship, all, all those good things. But what's happened to Bitcoin is that it's been not just co-opted, but it's been transformed into, I like to call it Bitcoin. I'm making jazz hands now, uh, you know, over the, the audio here uh, by transformed into Bitcoin with jazz hands uh, by Wall Street. And it's been neutered by Washington. Right. So it's so it's it's a it has become another table in the Wall Street casino. And that makes me very sad, right? Because I, 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 I do think that there is enormous value, right, in the inspiration that OG Bitcoin provides. Uh, but in exactly the same way, you mentioned gold, right? In exactly the same way that gold was pretty well co-opted and transformed by Wall Street uh, with the GLD ETFs, the other uh, securitizations of, of, of gold, the exact same thing has happened to Bitcoin. And the result of this, you see it, you know, not just in the, in the, in the price action today, but you see it in, I'll use another example that's, that's you know, very, very front and center in a lot of people's minds today. That's what's happened with the, uh, the with the Canadian truckers, right? So that the that the uh, there is no ability to fund that protest movement through Bitcoin because the state controls those on off ramps, right? Right. It, it, it controls the exchanges, and 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 this is it was never that. You know, government was going to ban Bitcoin, and it was never that you know Wall Street was ignoring Bitcoin. It's that both Wall Street and Washington transform Bitcoin into something that is very useful for them. And look, you can make money with it, right? It's a it's another table at the at the casino. Sure, and nothing wrong with that. But 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 it's not what I think. Most of us, and I'll put us in this, me in this camp as well, hoped would be the promise of Bitcoin. Right. So, you know, that that's what I think is going on there. And I think that's well said. I've said oftentimes I think it is addressing the right problem, but it might not be the right solution. And there are certain things that I like about the adoption of crypto, namely that it's empowered a whole younger generation of people to understand monetary policy. I think that in and of itself, exactly. yeah, I agree. that in and of itself is going to pay dividends for generations to come. Um, and especially now that same group of uh, newly educated investors are now watching this situation unfold that uh, of course i want your take on as well where you know look i i just tweeted earlier this morning if the fed had been raising rates when it was supposed to 2017 2018 2019 even in 2021 
they would be in a you know slightly less precarious position than they're in now, where uh, now you have this enormous geopolitical risk that has come out of left field, and the Fed has no tools at its disposal because it hasn't actually taken action. It's hawkishness over the last quarter or two quarters has been just yapping about raising rates. Um, And now they're backed further into a corner, Ben, than they were just a month ago. You know, a month ago, it was like, oh, shit, you know, inflation's at seven and a half percent. We really got to get going. And a month ago, everybody was saying these guys are truly in a catch 22. Now you throw the uh, the Russia-Ukraine mess and what could be a China-Taiwan developing situation too, but really a, re- a reordering of uh, the global order into the mix. And the Fed is really in a precarious position. Uh, what do you think? I mean, to me, it seems like the only two outcomes here, Ben, are inflation runs completely batshit rampant and enough so that it significantly affects the psychology of the American consumer and the the nefarious kind of consumer behavior that occurs during hyperinflation starts to happen, which is a, you know, a snowball rolling down a hill, or the Fed just hikes into this geopolitical volatility. And, you know, we're going to see another 40 or 50% lower from where we are in markets now, I think, if that happens. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's long-term precarious, and I think short-term, not so. I think the, I'll call it the narrative structure around the Fed is pretty strong. And what I mean by that is that, (laughs) you know, every time for the last 20 years that I've thought that political risk was going to damage markets, I've been wrong. I've been completely wrong. And frankly, Chris, I got to tell you, I, I don't think what's happening in Ukraine is much different from that. I think that uh, pretty quickly, with the you know with a with a possible exception of of you know European energy prices, I think this ends up being pretty much a nothing burger for markets. I really do, and I think that from a domestic political perspective, uh, the White House has to show some progress on inflation, if they'd have any chance at all in the midterms. I think that for you know US politics, like any country's politics, it's the economy stupid. Right. To use James Carville's good line. And so, you know, they the, the White House has got the Fed here to be their uh, fall guy for doing what is necessary to try to get inflation to start rolling over. I you know, I, I don't I don't know that inflation will roll over to the extent that this White House needs it for the for the for the midterms. I think that inflation is actually quite embedded in, in wages and prices. And as you said, it's the, the the psyche here. But I I don't think that this is what's happening in Ukraine is going to deter the Fed from hiking rates. I really don't. Well, I I think they're already kind of telegraphing that. There's been a number of people on CNBC, and I don't can't remember off the top of my head, but people that deliver the company line that are already saying, you know, 50 basis points already off the table. Now we're talking about 25. We're talking about delaying it after March. And, you know, it it just 
I don't know. They, they've never shown any backbone for as long as I've been watching them, which is about, you know, a decade or 15 years now, Ben. What makes you think that they're going to have a backbone now? And by the way, do you really think do you really think the Democrats have a chance in the midterms, regardless of whether or not they can bring the inflation print down at this point? I think it's the only chance. And so I think that's what they're shooting for. Right. So, you you know, to your question about spine and backbone, what I try to do is I try to follow the, you know, this, this is what I do. I, I research narratives. Right? And there is a very strong narrative now that allows the Fed to hike rates. Raising rates has become common knowledge, is what everyone knows that everyone knows has to be done. And so that's what the Fed's going to do. Now, you know, is it five hikes or is it eight hikes? You know, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows, right? But the narrative today, in the sense that everyone knows that everyone knows that the Fed is going to hike, is so incredibly different from this time last year when we were arguing over the transitoriness of inflation. I know you were saying, and I was certainly saying, that no, there's nothing transitory about it, that it's well embedded now in wages and prices. You know, that uncertainty, that debate, that narrative question has been answered. This is the life cycle of any narrative, right? It's, It's born, it grows, it lives, and ultimately it dies. Right now, we're at the phase of this Fed narrative that it has become common knowledge. Everyone knows that everyone knows the Fed is going to hike, which means that they will hike. And when they hike, it will not impact markets. It's not going to make them. You know, right. Go it's priced. Right it. Exactly. Exactly. Now, is this going to does this have enormous consequences in real world to your point about uh, economic growth slowing down? To your point, particularly in markets of the liquidity punch bowl being drained, absolutely, right? Which is why I don't know what is what is Arc trading at today. You know, it's got a five handle. Yeah, on it's it. like a fifty-six. It hit. A, right? It had a fifty-six handle this morning. I think it's probably right. 57, 58 now. I don't know. So, so you know, the draining of liquidity, the turning around of the monetary policy barge because that's what that's what monetary policy it's a barge right and it's been yeah, it's going like the fucking one, titanic it really it, is it really you is. don't you don't just pull a 180 you have to it's a fucking process to get the thing going in the other direction but but more but more importantly chris once it does start going in the other direction it keeps going in that direction for quite a long time and whatever is happening in ukraine IMO is not nearly enough to make to make that barge that's now going in the tightening and liquidity draining direction to make it you know slow down right. you know, much less stop or turn around. Yeah, I mean Arc is a quintessential example of somebody that has really benefited from that barge moving in one direction. And I've talked about this on my podcast and I've written about it. I mean, talk about the, the, you know, the rising tide lifting all boats. Uh, You know, you have an asset manager. And as a matter of fact, I, I wrote an article called the fed is fucked. And so are the genius fund managers that it created. And the, the point of the article was, you know, not only is the fed run out of options, but not just Kathy Wood, there's, there's a whole, 
uh, array of fund managers of her sure. ilk that are being, uh, you know, heralded as, uh, you know, investing geniuses thanks to their ability to, what, close their eyes and throw a dart somewhere and, and pick a basket of crap at some point over the last two decades, which is going to go up regardless of sector or whether or not it's generating cash or anything. And uh, and so I'm not surprised to see uh, her. And it's and, and you know, it's really quite an interesting experiment in human psychology to see her come on halftime report. First off, I don't know what the fuck CNBC is doing, giving her an hour the other day on halftime report. OK, usually when you're in the middle of a 50 percent drawdown and you've been talking your book the whole time and your stocks just continue to re-rate lower, maybe it's time to reconsider you know, the gravitas of the asset managers are given time to fine. All right. But maybe they want to give her a chance to explain. She takes to the airwaves a couple days ago, Ben, and she keeps peddling this nonsense. Okay. That her technology stocks are in deep value, her innovation stocks. She clearly doesn't understand valuation reversion to the mean. Uh, I don't really know what she's thinking, to be honest with you. Uh, but here she is now 18% lower from where she was just doing that interview a couple days ago. Her number one holding I just saw is up 6% over the last 12 months for that ARC fund. Meanwhile, the fund is down 60%. Uh, you know, So that tells you about the rest of the components of the fund. Uh, I, I just don't know what to make of it. I mean, what do you, what do you think is going to become of her? Uh, do you think she's got a fighting chance here at all? Or, or do you think she will be a, uh, a, a lesson, a history lesson when we look back? No, I, look, I, I think that... I've got a lot of thoughts here, right? So I, I think that that there are two great religions, two great faiths within investing. One is the growth faith, right? Right, and that is you know, and 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 most momentum traders are that way, right? So it's it's the the, the in a fundamental sense, it's based on you know the future is a arrow up and to the right. In kind of a trading sense, it is uh, it's a it's a momentum or trend following. It's a faith, but so is value. Right. So is value, man. And and it's there are different languages that each of these religions have. Uh, there are different prophets that each of these religions have, but they're both religions, right. and and they will work in different circumstances and they won't work in other circumstances and it doesn't matter. There will always be a home and an audience for Kathy Wood in the same way that there is always a home and an audience for, you know, a, a, you know, gold for <laughs> right. Or there, there's always a home does and it, audience. Does, for, does it bother you button. that you're having problems drawing an analog there when you're trying to bring right, that right, up? Right. <laughs> yeah. But, so the, the, it's, it so much changed for me in, in, in my investing and in my thinking about markets. When I started thinking about these schools of investing as faiths, as 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 religions and, and and particularly what changed for me was the realization that they each have their own language they each have their own phrases and words and the like and you can actually track that you can see when one faith is in ascendance you can see when one faith is declining 
right? And gets back to our conversation about crypto. Crypto is pure narrative. Pure narrative. That's it. So is gold. So is gold, by the way. No, right? it's not pure narrative. Oh, come on. Well, come what on. are you talking about? You're talking about the difference between crypto and gold? I mean, you're going to say they're both pure narrative? That's just wrong. I mean, gold's a commodity, right? It's tangible. It's physical. It's used in industry. No, 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 no. The value of it. So, so you know, X the... All right. Let's let's set aside the industrial uses for gold. Okay. Right? But 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 what gives what gives a multiple to a stock? It's the story. What says that this element is worth? You know, this commodity is worth X Y Z. I'm not talking a, a precious metal, right? Not talking about an industrial commodity or the like. I'm talking about a precious metal. What gives it value? It's the story. Now, look, it's a good story. But it's more than that, though. I mean, like, what about yeah. silver, right? Silver has tremendous industrial use. That's what I'm saying. But, but, but silver doesn't trade where it trades because it's used, you know, in, you know, in, in, you know, old, old school film, right? <laughs> right? So that's, that's, it's, it's, it's fine that it has that, that, that use. I get it. I know it does. But the vast majority of what, the meaning of silver is not because people are thinking, oh, well, I think, you know, this industrial use is going to, you know, go way up or way down. You know, that's not it. It's a proxy for gold. It's a higher beta version of gold. So, again, this is not, I'm not using narrative in a pejorative sense. I think it's all narrative, all the way down. It, it, this is what I say, you know, what multiple do you put on a company? As you say, it's got real cash flows and it's got this, you know, is that a, is that 3x you know earnings or you know 8x or 30x it it depends on what the story is all multiples are stories valuation of 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 non-industrial commodities like crypto like gold it's all story and and i'm and again i'm not saying that's a bad thing what i'm saying though that it is something that we can actually measure and think about systematically today yeah i just you know i i i guess i would just take exception with the idea that you know that crypto and and the metals can be valued similarly in that respect because i just feel like crypto is not a commodity um and i i feel like the metals you know, their price may not be driven completely by their industrial use, but it is a factor um, and they are tangible. But, I, you know, I'm understanding what you're saying about it's about the narrative. So even when you're talking about, you know, like take General Motors, for instance, right, always traded at whatever, six times earnings for, right. for forever until the EV story comes along. And then all of a yes. sudden it's somehow, you know, a different company, right? It's a technological uh, you know, Marvel, like the rest of these, because all these other bullshit EV companies got all these other bullshit multiples. Now, all of a sudden, General Motors could trade at a 20 multiple and everybody can look at it and be like, yeah, there's nothing wrong here. You know, which is why you have all these Tesla skeptics that are out there saying this is a car company and it should be valued at six times earnings, you know, predicting 98% yeah. downside, right? So, so Chris, you know, one of the, you know, when I was running my hedge fund, I was talking with a the, the founder of the fund, he he was not our fund, but of the, the larger firm. And he was mm -hmm. running a large cap portfolio. 
and I, and I remember asking him, you know, so, you know, you really don't have a lot of, of tech, right. In, 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 in this portfolio. And it was, it was the, his fund was a, a, a value oriented, you know, strategy or philosophy. Yeah. About four or $5 billion. And, and he said, no, no, you're right. I, I really don't because there is no such thing as value tech. Certainly not in large cap. It doesn't exist, right? The, 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 the audience, the, the true believers, right, in tech, they're not there for a value story. Nobody buys big tech for a value story. You buy it for the growth story. And this is why CEOs, the most important thing in a CEO today is not, oh, can I get another, you know, operational turn of, of you know, leverage, you know, in this division? No, the only reason, right, that a CEO is a good performer or a bad performer is can they create a narrative, can they create a story that drives a higher multiple for their stock, right? That's, that's what management is. But what I want to suggest to you, Chris, that that's exactly the same thing with bankers. It's exactly the same thing with politicians. It's exactly for the same with, with, with any of what we call in game theory missionaries. Right? You're trying to create a story that drives a higher multiple right, on whatever it is that you want, that, that you're involved with. Again, whether that's politics or whether that's selling cars or but don't, you know, whatever it is. Don't you think that – So, and maybe I'm just Gold missing tooth. the point because I'm not obviously a game theory specialist. Yeah, I'm a guy that likes to drink beer. But like maybe I'm just missing the point here. You know, you say people don't buy beer big tech for value, but I guarantee you that there's going to be people like myself today. Like, you know, I'm going to buy Microsoft. Why? Because, you know, it's trading at $270 a share or whatever. Now it's coming, you know, the PE's down back to 25, uh, 25X. You know, I think that's reasonable. I'm going to buy it in a portfolio where I'm not going to look at it for 30 years. You know, I see, I see a perception of value there. I'm not buying it because I'm, you know, I'm predicting multiple expansion. I'm buying it because I'm predicting that they'll, you know, earnings will continue to rise. So, I mean, don't you think that part of the reason people invest and part of the reason that stocks re-rate is, is a function of, you know, their earnings and not just multiple expansion? I mean, multiple expansion, it happens. Listen to what you just said, Listen to what you just said Chris, right? You're going you're gonna to buy a 25 multiple stock. Right. And you're going to put it in a drawer. You're not going to think about it because you think, what that, that that earnings can continue to grow at a rate that supports that valuation for the next twenty years? Yes. Huh. I be. I mean, I, I I I would I would want to think about that, right, Chris? If 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 I were you, because the well, implied. Tell me why I'm wrong. Because right. I'm obviously wrong. You're obviously well, taking no, no, exception. No, 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 no. Stop. I'm not saying you're wrong. What I'm saying is that what you just said was a belief in growth. You're expressing faith. Right. right? And I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong at all. I'm saying you're, you're expressing one of the two great religions of investment. Okay. Right. The other great religion would, like, would be to say, oh, I'm looking at this really depressed thing. It trades <laughs> you know, three times multiple, but, you know, they, 
that, that would be the other language. The, the language you just used, right, was exactly the language that a believer in growth uses. And look, I am too. I am too. I'm, I'm, I'm a believer in that school as well. I really actually truly have faith that the path of markets and the path of, frankly, humanity is an arrow that goes up and to the right. right. I really do believe in this, right? So I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong at all. What I'm saying is that what you are expressing is an article of faith. And that's not bad. It's not wrong. It's human. It's human. And the reason it'll probably work is there are a lot of other humans like me who believe the same thing that you do. Right. That's that's all I'm saying. That's all. It really is all I'm saying, Chris. I'm asking. No, it's for it's fascinating. <laughs> it's a fascinating way to look at things. And I knew that, like, I knew that you, you know, I could tell from reading your piece on Bitcoin that you just see things completely differently, at least you know than I do, which is what I think mm -hmm. made your Bitcoin piece such a fascinating read. Because you know, I would have never considered Bitcoin to be art, but I actually think that that argument of it being art makes more sense to me knowing what little I know about, you know, the alternative art market, right? I had the CEO mm -hmm. of Masterworks on a couple of years ago <laughs> yeah. trying to get yeah. him to explain to me what the fuck is going on when people are trading, you know, a painting back and forth for millions of dollars. Like, what is it? Is it an antique? Is it a, is it a historical asset? Is it, where the hell does all that value come from? Right? So as he's trying to explain that to me, now you explain this to me. I'm like, ah, okay. You know, like that, that actually makes some sense, but that, that's something I would have never, I would have never, um, or it's a conclusion I would have never arrived at on my own. Um, which is why I, I thought the piece was such a fascinating read. Tell me about, well, well, go ahead. No, well, Chris, I mean, what you're describing is kind of in my own journey too. Right. And I, I hate using that word journey. I sound like I'm on the bachelor, you know, they, yeah, they, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, but, but it really is. So, I mean, you know, I, I used to manage a pretty big hedge fund, right? I mean, we were, we were right at a billion dollars and, you know, we did really well in 08. Um, I mean, really well. And, you know, we never lost money for clients and, you know, something I'm still really proud about. But, you know, after really from March of 09 onwards, what we did just didn't work. And you, I mean, you ran uh, your you fund, know, you ran, I'm sorry to interrupt, you ran your fund through 2008? Oh, we ran it through 2012. So it started in 05, um, you know, did great in 05, 06, 07, and we did super in 08, you know, up, you know, more than 20% net in 08. And, um, you know, so that, that the assets got, got really large, long, short equity. But then from March of 09 forwards, our returns really flatlined. Right. Right. So our, our shorts got killed and our longs, you know, did OK. But, you know, along with the rest of the market, like I said, we never lost money for clients. And, and so I'm still really proud of that. But, you know, single digit returns running a hedge fund, you know, that's bullshit. <laughs> right? I mean, so, you know, it's, it's not intellectually honest, let's say. Right. And so, you know, in 2012, gave all the money back to our clients, you know, before I did lose their money, because what what we were look what i was looking at for investing which was really looking at fundamentals and catalysts didn't work anymore and and 
you know, I always knew that story was important, but I was, I was, I was what you'd call, and I think most market participants are this, they said they're, I'll call them weak form narrativists. Okay. Meaning, okay, okay, <laughs> the narrative and the story matters in the short term, but, you know, pretty quickly, reality, the fundamentals, that's what really matters, right? And I, and I guess it was the summer of 2012 when, when Mario Draghi, through just words, you know, just, just from giving a talk, <laughs> right, and coming up with these mythical programs, you know, OMT programs and the like, you know, trans, you know transform, he saved the euro, saved the European markets. You know, it was a kick in the teeth for me because I had a lot of big short positions on in the summer of 2012. But it, just the words change things permanently. And so that's what I got to thinking, well, maybe I'm not a weak form narrativist. Maybe I'm a, I'm using this kind of economic talk, semi-strong semi form, <laughs> meaning, meaning, okay, yeah, I guess, I guess narratives can still, you know, you know, they can last and be the real driver of, of markets for, for a pretty long time. But, but ultimately, I'm sure, I have faith that it's value and fundamentals and the real world that, that ends up making all the difference. I got to tell you today, I am a strong form narrativist. I think it's all narratives all the time that what we say are, you know, when we talk about multiples in a stock or we talk about why we own a stock, we're using the same words and language that, frankly, people have been using for literally thousands of years. You're using the language of a faith in growth or you're using the language of a faith in value. There's a third uh, religion also, by the way, and that's the that's the the faith in uh, market making, <laughs> right? Which right. is, you know, you 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 are the trader. You're the you're the you're the person in the middle. You're the market maker, and frankly, that's the most profitable, consistently profitable of all the religions. Yeah, the bookmaker, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the house, the security, the house the always security. gets its cut, right? Which is why right. I, I loved. Uh, you know, for a while I owned CBOE and actually mm -hmm. one uh, one name that I just, you know, was looking at a couple of days ago again, which I've owned off and on for a long time is Overstock. And, you know, with the ICE, which is the New York Stock Exchange parent company taking a stake in T0, I'm like, ah, you know, that that kind of piques my interest again. I've been long for a while, but I think, man, that's a serious move because the exchanges are the house. Right. Yeah. And it's what, you know, for for all the uh, gripes I have with crypto, uh, you know, the appeal to me, I'd rather own a name like Silvergate that processes crypto or Coinbase that, you know, rips huge margins off of processing crypto than own uh, the crypto itself, because at least then they're generating cash and the cash, you know, can uh, ostensibly, I don't know. My, my reasoning may be backwards there, but that's uh, no, I, I think no, your point is. It's not bad reasoning, right? But 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 it is a story, right? right. It's the story I always hear of. Oh, I'd rather you know sell the picks and shovels than you know dig for gold, right? I, I mean, <laughs> it, and that it's a good story. I'm not saying that, that it's bad that it's a story, but what I'm saying is that faith in that story waxes and wanes, right? And as it waxes and wanes, the multiple you get on that story will also go up and down. And so my focus is in trying to understand the story how we tell those stories and how we understand it rather than you know, 
the fundamentals, right? You know, how much does that story apply to this stock versus that stock? Yeah, and that makes perfect sense um, when you say it like that. Where do you think we're heading, uh, you know, in the short term? You say that you think that this conflict is going to wind up being a nothing burger for, for markets. For markets, yeah. Do you, you want to explain your reasoning? Because, you know, look, obviously what everybody else is thinking, judging by the market action today and what – you know, people that aren't specialists in game theory and think one dimensionally, uh, you know, like myself, again, I like to drink beer. Uh, those people think, all right, look, you know, geopolitical tensions, bad war, bad, you know, commodity prices should go up. It's going to further disrupt, uh, you know, especially for the United States, we import a lot. It's going to further disrupt supply chains. It's going to create all these unknowns. Uh, it's going to, uh, you know, so and and the market ostensibly, you know, it's funny. Somebody said this morning on CNBC, um, I think it was Dan Ives, somebody that was pushing buying tech, said this morning, yeah. he's like, we haven't seen valuations this cheap, you know, in decades or something. And I was just like, uh, he said in tech, he said we haven't seen you know valuations this cheap in tech in you know a decade. And I'm like, we were just here. Like a year ago, like what is he? What could he possibly be talking about? So why do those? Why do those people? Why does the market have it wrong today? Where are they over? The where are they overshooting the mark? Because we always overshoot the mark, right? Because we there, there is always a wall of worry for the market to climb. Because without something to fear and worry about, there would be nothing to overcome, right? So markets happen on the margins. And what I mean by that is that markets happen when, you know, somebody crosses that bid-ask spread. In the case of markets going up is when somebody who was bearish becomes bullish. Right. Right. And so this is how markets go up. There must be a worry. There must be a problem that is overcome. And that's what we're seeing here today. So it, it's... <laughs> First Persian Gulf War. <laughs> I remember, I remember, so I was, I, you know, so I, was, I was still in political science then, I was still tracking the narrative, and I was like, you know, say, there, there's no doubt that, you know, just like, you know, I published something about Russia a month ago saying, look, the decision to go to war has already been made. What you're seeing now in kind of diplomatic circles is Russia just positioning everything for its domestic, uh, you know, political consumption. And it was the same thing for the the, the, the Persian Gulf War, ninety ninety one, that in, from the U.S. side. And so, but I was thinking about okay, what does that mean for markets? And so I was thinking, you know, I was a young pup then. I thought, oh my God, when the U.S. starts that war, oh my God, oil prices are going to skyrocket. Holy crap, that's going to be you know, oil's going to go to the moon. The day that the U.S. you know went into what it was, you know, enduring free, whatever the name of the, you know, desert store, whatever the name of it was, you know, to liberate, you know, Iraqi right. freedom. Was it that one? Iraqi, well, yeah. yeah. Now this was before, this was, this was the, when, so that was know, desert the first, storm or desert shield, maybe. Yeah. Desert storm, desert shield, whatever, whatever it was. Right. The price of oil went down. The price of oil went down. Yeah. And, and, I do think that that, that that European energy prices are going to stay, you know, high here, but just just watch. So within within a week, 
right? You'll get the first market stories about of, okay, you know, it ain't it awful what's happening to Ukraine. And yet the U.S. economy remains strong, right? right? And we'll, we'll start to get those stories. And there will, there will, this will be an obstacle that the market will triumph over and will go higher. Yeah. I, I, I think you're a hundred percent right actually there. And, and I wrote in my, you know, I had kind of a fascinating, uh, morning. I, I stayed up all night last night. I was, uh, I had a drive that I had to make anyways very early this morning. And so usually I get up to do it at like, you know, two in the morning. And uh, and since this news started breaking at around 11 o'clock last night, I just stayed up. You know, I was Mm -hmm. I was following Mm -hmm. the news. And as I was driving back this morning, uh, you know, and I watched the futures tank last night, uh, you know, watched the Dow futures fall 700. I watched gold, you know bid 2%. I I watched the whole thing happen. And I'm thinking and I'm thinking and I'm thinking and I'm reading fucking uh, headline after headline, Ben. And a couple hours go by and I start to get my stuff ready for my drive. And I get on the road and, you know, and I'm watching the futures every once in a while from my phone on the road. And now we're talking maybe six hours after the news has broke, okay, the, yep. the official news. Because really, look, the uncertainty this morning was whether or not he was going to invade Ukraine or whether or not he was just going to take the eastern part, right? That, that I think, was the big uncertainty. And now, I, you know, we knew that he's going to, you know, he's coming in near the capital. He's coming in from the north. He's coming in from the south. So it's like, okay, this is a full, you know, diplomacy has failed. He's got his mind made up. This is a full-scale invasion whatever but i want to read you um what i wrote on my way uh as i was driving i started to dictate some notes you know into my phone about uh, a note that i wanted to put out this morning on my blog um and i started to kind of get this feeling like you're talking about um you know i wrote in terms of market psychology going forward uh, what we're watching this morning is the market re-rating to find out for the first time that Putin intends on invading the entire country of Ukraine, which was previously an unknown. We've known it for eight hours now. That's the equivalent of ancient history in the market's world. Not in any way to trivialize the extent of what this means to the Ukrainian people, but now the questions for markets turn to, you know, what you're talking about, whether innocent civilians yep. will be harmed, what sanctions will look like, and whether this escalates, you know, maybe from swift sanctions into uh, into a bigger global uh, issue and I and I wrote and I'm sorry to you know be on my podium here but I want your response to this uh, I wrote uh, while a lot of the headlines for many of you waking up in the morning are going to look really ugly remember that the futures market has already had about eight to ten hours to re-rate according to the news that we just found out um, and with every minute that goes by that news gets more and more priced in and with every minute that goes by the market readjusts to further look to what's next not what has just happened, right? So even in the span of overnight, I think it was because I was watching it closely in real time and not, I didn't go to bed and wake up and say, oh shit, he took Ukraine. But, you know, as I sat there for eight hours while the news kind of sunk in personally, by the time the morning rolled around, I was like, yeah, like what is next, right? And that's kind of what you're talking about, right? 
That's exactly what I'm talking about. And 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 what and, and even more so what I'm talking about is that there is a pattern, there is a script that occurs for market narratives around these sort of political events. And I really mean it's a script. Right? You know, the example I like to use is Law and Order, the TV show, more than 600 episodes. There are only a dozen scripts, right? You change the names around, you change a few details around. <laughs> there are 600 episodes. It's the same thing with markets, right? right? There, are fi- there are a finite number of scripts. You know, it's a number bigger than 12, but it's, but it's still a finite number. <laughs> and so the, the scripts are always around, here's an obstacle, ain't it awful, oh my God, and then we overcome. Right. Right. That's the script. And it's it's, you know, the difficult thing is when it's hard to declare victory, when it's hard to overcome, like inflation. Right. It's what, what's really difficult is then when the to 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 follow the script of overcoming, you've got to take some steps that really do have some really significant and awful real world actions. Right. Like raising interest rates. Right. Like you know, shrinking, you know, draining the, 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 the punch bowl. The, the, the actions to, quote unquote, overcome the ain't it awful Ukraine. Enormous consequences if you live in Odessa and zero consequences if you live in New York. Right, right. right. So, unless, so- unless it becomes a larger geopolitical issue, right? I mean, are you handicapping that risk? Putin has said if, you know, if they try to remove Russia from the SWIFT system, that that would be akin to like a declaration of war against Russia, right? Do you, do you handicap that into your thinking? Well, I, I, I mean, what, 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 I don't even know what that means, a declaration of war. Are you going to launch nukes because you're not on SWIFT? No, you're going to do a deal with China. You're going to do, you know, you're going to do your deals with, with, with Iran. I mean, you're going to try to create your own system, and I think China's going to be pretty darn open to that. Yeah. Right? So, look, I, I, I think it is terrible on a human dimension what is happening in Ukraine. I think the story and how that story then get, gets reflected in markets is a script that has been played a lot of times before, and I, I, I don't give a lot of credence to, oh, my God, this is just like, you know, taking the Sudetenland in Czechoslovakia in, you know, 1939, right? It's, 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 it's not. It's just not. By the way, that's another script. That's another story that, that other people would like to tell. tell. I, it'll be interesting to see if that story, if that script gets more believers. Yeah. Uh, you know, from my role as being a for, you know former political science professor of all oxymorons, I, I I don't think it's a good analogy. I don't think it's an apt story. But look, you know, whether I think it's 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 correct in real world terms doesn't really matter. It, what I've what I've learned is that my opinion on this stuff really doesn't matter. It's you know, <laughs> what what story actually gets told? Yeah. And you look at this with a depth that I just don't uh, I just don't look at immediately. I'm not saying that I couldn't get there, but I'm just I'm not there. 
And I find it fascinating. And, you know, I know that we're short on time. We have a hard stop. But, I w- you know, it reminds me of when I play chess. You know, I'm, I'm a novice. Yeah. I've been playing chess for maybe two years now or three years now. I just kind of learned. And, uh, and I know. I know that, you know, you don't have to be proficient to know when somebody else uh, is more proficient than you. When they're looking three moves ahead and you're just looking at, you know, okay, captures, captures, one move, and I'm done. Um, and and I get that same vibe from you when I talk to you about these things. Uh, you know, I can tell that you're looking at these things with the depth that, uh, you know, for one reason or another, I haven't I haven't gotten to. And I, I would love to have you back on when you have some more time because um, I feel like I could sit and talk to you for a couple hours. On well, I'd love, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that. But, but look, it's not, it's not about being – smarter or thinking three moves ahead it's, it's, it's really not what what it is is about stepping back from the game entirely and asking yourself what is the larger game that is being played right right you know it's, it's the whole lot about poker right that if you if you don't know who the sucker is at the table in the first 30 <laughs> minutes it's you right right and what what i what i what i think everyone can do is try to put some critical distance between what you read and what you hear and your own heart. And 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 because I'm not saying fight the Fed or go against what you're reading or all this stuff. No, not at all. In fact, you know, I, I think in large part you want to go with the narrative, not try to fight it. Right. But what I am saying is that there is a narrative on everything. And it's a matter of stepping back and say, you know, why am I reading this now? You know, what, what, why, why this message now? Where have I heard this story before? And thinking in terms of stories and scripts and how they are played to us over and over again, and just stepping back and looking at it in that light, it'll, it'll really, it'll really change the way you see the world. It really will. Yeah. Step back from the game. Right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Interesting. That's uh, it's like life advice too, right? It absolutely. I, mean, I don't want to get too philosophical, and I don't want to go over our time. But how would you apply that to somebody that's just going about their daily life too? To connect with what's real, and not what is constructed for you. To connect with real people, real people who see you as an autonomous human being, and not just as a means to an end. Yeah, do that. And uh, I like to say, you know, find your pack. And that's the secret, I think, to a happy life. Ben, really awesome, man. Thank you so much. It was a fascinating conversation. I regret that we didn't block off four hours, but let's... uh, (laughs) Let's, I mean, and I mean, let's, let's turn it around and run it back like real soon. I don't care if it's the next podcast I do after this one, but we need, we need more time to talk. So thank you so much for everything. I appreciate you coming on, Ben. You got it, man. Take care. Talk to you soon. That was Ben Hunt of Epsilon Theory. And I just said it right there. Dude's just smart. And I, you know what he said? You know, he said, it's, it's not about being smarter and it's about your perspective. And I feel that, you know, that's why I said to him, I'm sure that I could get to the way he looks at things. I'm sure I have the capacity, but I'm just looking at things from a different vantage point. And that comes through. It came through in his writing, and uh, it came through in my inability to grasp what he was talking about while he was talking about it during this conversation. But 
That was a really fascinating one. And uh, Ben's information is in my podcast description. Check him out at Epsilon Theory. Worth the read, obviously. Worth the subscription. Um, if not for any other reason than to, you know, just increase your depth of knowledge uh, and the way that you look at things, which is super important. I'll get back to screaming and shrieking about the Federal Reserve very soon, I can assure you. Um, but today, uh, it was pretty cool to go uh, to go deep with him, probably deeper than I thought we were going to go. And, uh, and I look forward to doing it again. All right. Sending a lot of prayers for the kind people in Europe, both the Russians and the Ukrainians. Uh, you know, a lot of Russian citizens, I'm sure, would not be involved in this shit show if given the choice. Um, and so, you know, thoughts are with the Ukrainians as well as uh, those people who are all on the side of peace. Because uh, we're all on the side of peace, I think. And uh, for now, I'm out of here. Thanks, fools. Peace.